Hey everyone, welcome to my new podcast, Midwife at Your Cervix, with me, Beth, midwife, mum of four, and founder of the Bumped Baby chapter. So this podcast has been a long time coming, and I can't believe the day has finally come where we are launching the first episode. It's just so exciting. Our first ever podcast episode is with midwife Pip. Um, Pip is a labour ward coordinator, so she orchestrates shifts, uh, where midwives are placed and would probably see multiple births in a night, uh, either being a second pair of hands for a midwife uh, at a birth or attending emergency situations. So I know that at the moment there is a lot of talk about staff shortages in midwifery, which for you as someone who is pregnant, this must be really anxiety provoking for you. So one of the topics that we wanted to cover was this staff shortage and how it will affect you as someone in labour. And I just want to reassure you that women in labour will always be prioritised for one-to-one care with a midwife. But let's save that conversation for later on. Quick sh- shout out to LV for sponsoring this first episode. Now let me introduce you to midwife Pip. Hey Pip, it's so nice to have you on. Thank you very much for agreeing to speak to me today. Um, so for those who um, maybe don't don't know or haven't come across Midwife Pip yet, are you happy to just give a little introduction about yourself and, um, and what you do? Yeah. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited that Beth is starting a podcast. Very excited <laughs> because I love podcasts. I'm Pip, uh, Midwife Pip on Instagram, and I am a practicing midwifery sister in the NHS. I'm a mum. It's always important to mention that now, isn't it? Um, the founder of Midwife Pip Podcast, and I teach online pregnancy, birth prep, breastfeeding, pregnancy and postnatal exercise, postnatal recovery courses. So trimester one to four, whatever you are, I've got you. Full work. Um, I've got you. Yeah, we have got something <laughs> for you. And like Beth, really, just immensely passionate about women being equipped with accurate, honest, supportive education at a time that's so, so monumentous in their lives. Um, proper birth geek, which is why I love chatting to you. Nice. So you said you're um, a midwife sister. Yes. So I work in the NHS. I'm part-time since having my little one, because let's yeah. be honest, with childcare costs, that is plenty. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it's only based on midwife shift work, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah. Good. It, at least we can do it a little bit more flexibly around childcare, but it's still yeah it's too much it's a juggle it's a fun juggle but I've only got one you've got way more than one so um your juggle is your juggle is more you must have 10 hands <laughs> I don't know I don't know <laughs> winging it the best way winging it yeah winging it. um so yeah that's that's where I'm homed at the moment on labour wards been based on labour wards since 2018 I think before that have been kind of everywhere um birth centres Little bit of community, but birth's always been my kind of main passion. Yeah, I'm the same. I like I like birth. I like labour care. I like birth. Yeah, I love birth. I like pregnancy and then birth. Yeah, same. I'm exactly the same. So for those who don't know, what you mentioned, um, so you're currently working on labour ward as a sister, and then you mentioned birth centres as well. So uh, what is the difference between the labour ward and uh, birth centres? Yeah, so... Generally, birth centres may be in the community or they may be co-located, so in a hospital, but in a separate area to a kind of delivery suite or labour ward. 
The main difference is where the doctors are located. So our doctors are typically, so that's our obstetricians, our specialist and um, pregnancy and birth doctors, and also our anaesthetists. And anyone who wants an epidural in their birth, the anaesthetist is always your hero. So they are based on the delivery suite or labour ward. And it's on this, on that kind of unit where your baby would be, have continuous monitoring of their heart rate. So if there were some concerns that perhaps your baby was at slightly higher risk of getting a little upset in labour, or we needed to keep a slightly closer eye on you in labour if there's been any complications in your pregnancy, you're typically advised to birth on a delivery suite or labour ward. If everything's been completely swimmingly, your full term, so over 37 weeks, um, it's been a completely smooth pregnancy, no complications, then typically you'd be advised to birth at a birth centre. And it's your choice, and depending on whereabouts you are and what's available to you, whether that is a birth centre in the community or co-located in a hospital. Um, so what type of people really would be going to your labour ward? Like, um, can you give us some examples of, like, where when would you be advised to give birth on a... On a it's, it's usually... So in, in the area I work, we call it delivery suite, which is still the same as your labour wards, but it's, it's basically like the consultant-led unit, isn't it? Yeah, and those terms get used really interchangeably, don't they, up and down the country? So... Same thing, consultant-led unit, delivery suite or labour ward. We're talking about the same thing, essentially, um, but your place of birth may call it something different. So if you're preterm, so if you're in labour and your pregnancy is less than 37 weeks, that would be where you'd be advised to be. If you are having more than one baby, so twins, triplets, even more, then you recommend to be on labour ward. Um, if you've had gestational diabetes, a previous cesarean section, which I kind of say with a pinch of salt because there's lots of lots of change around that at the moment yeah there is different and different areas isn't it so just up the roads they have a a policy which accommodates vbacs so vaginal birth after cesareans on their midwife-led units so like their birth centers which is amazing but in where i work the advice is still to have your vbac on a consultant-led unit mm. Yeah, it's interesting. So our standard policy mirrors yours, but we've had lots of women that have just had a, a special consultation and made a, a plan, individual plan for them to be on a birth centre. And I think that's a really key point, that it's about, you know, having an open discussion. So if you've been advised to birth on a consultant-led unit and you really want to be on a birth centre, it's important that you feel you can have that discussion as to why that's been advised to you. And if that's something that you would like to kind of have another consultation about and make an individualised plan and you're happy with those risks and you completely understand that, then you can usually have an individualised plan made that supports you to bear somewhere else. It's, it's your choice at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's having that flexibility. But, but essentially, so the things like high blood pressure, diabetes, for some women, they just want to be there. There's no, yeah. you know, there's like no reason. Touring. Yeah, they just want to be there. Or you know you yeah. want an epidural. And, and those aren't available on a birth centre. So that's a summary, I think. Nice. So you've obviously chose, so you're a sister on the labour ward. So you've obviously made a choice then that that is where you, you've said you like birth care already, labour care. So what has made you go for a, it, work to work in a consultant-led unit compared to working on a midwife-led um, unit? Like, what's what's drawn you to that consultant-led care area? Yeah, I love that question, Beth. So, 
I think for me, what I was seeing when I rotated between birth centres and delivery suite was typically the women who had their babies on a birth centre felt really positive about their experience because it generally was quite straightforward. Everything went fairly similarly to their birth plan. They felt really positive. And those mums that I met that had birthed on a consultant, their unit, that may have had some intervention, be that induction, forceps, unplanned cesarean, some of those mums felt quite differently. And I kept hearing the term like I'd failed at birth or I was disappointed in my birth. And, oh, I just, the idea that failure is ever in the same sentence as a woman who has just birthed another human I just can't bear. Yeah. I can't bear. So what? It's just it just shouldn't be the thing, should it? Like we're yeah. bloody incredible how we birth our baby. Yeah. So, so my the thing I love and the opportunity that I love about having the position I do on a labour ward is the ability to support women to have a positive experience regardless of what that looks like. And I'm not about normalising things that are abnormal because sometimes yeah. you do require medical intervention, but actually making sure that's appropriate and that's measurable and that we have informed choice and that we support women who perhaps have got 10 different drips going and buzzing around but we've got beautiful mood lighting and we've supported her to be in really great upright mobile positions to support her physiology and we've listened to her choices and we can do that immediate skin to skin and creating that birth bubble that otherwise may have been a really medicalized birth and that woman may not have felt she had that choice and empowerment um, and that's what I'm really passionate about on our labour ward is is that is creating that positive birth regardless of of what birth outcome looks like. Yeah, I'm I'm exactly the same, and for exactly the same reasons as you. So I I um, bank now, so I will just pick my shifts, um, and I will choose to work on the consultant led unit um, more so than the birth unit. And for the exact same reasons, I feel like when you go to, um, midwife led unit and you're on the birth unit, um, you know, 90% of the time, those women are having their births exactly as they have planned their births to be. And it's the women who then transfer to the consultant led unit and they feel like, oh no, it's all going wrong. Like it's there that you can be like, don't worry, I've got you. Like we can still bring that, that, um, magic from the birth unit to a consultant-led unit. Um, so yeah, I feel exactly the same. When did you... How long have you been a midwife for, Pip? I, I, I know you didn't mention it at the start, uh, but... Now, 2023, 20, just over 10 years. So do you feel... So from when you were a student, so over 10 years ago then, so midwife uh, training is obviously three years, do you see a change in how consultant-led units are? Yes so much Beth and um and I haven't always I didn't I trained in London um I've worked in another couple of hospitals before I came to where I currently practice so I've seen a few different consultant-led units and then I've watched my current one evolve um and I think it's really changed and I think that is a lot a lot down to our obstetricians as well and I think we've got some incredible new obstetricians that are really passionate about supporting physiological birth and trying to step back from sometimes a slightly over-medicalised culture. And I know we're all different and we're going to meet all different walks of life yes. and with different personalities. But when when I trained, like, I wasn't really birth balls and peanut balls and mood lighting on labour ward or birth balls, you know. The pool was like a storage room. It, was, it yeah. wasn't like this thriving, yeah. beautiful place. 
Um, yeah. And now it is. And I think partly down to, I think, a change in general culture within the medical profession. So well done us. But yeah. also partly to women and women being more informed and demanding different. And that's yeah. going to be the most powerful voice we ever have. Oh, 100%. Because it, as soon as women start saying, I want... I want mood lighting. I want my calm. I want a calm cesarean birth. I want a V back on the birth center. You know that's why it's hap- it's happening. It's because women are asking for it. Yeah, exactly. And and that's what brings the change, isn't it? Because then obstetricians, midwives, hospital policies are kind of forced to make policies and guidelines to support women who want to give uh, or want to have a V V back on um, on the birth unit. Yeah, but it. It is. It's such a. It has been such a, a change, isn't it? For example, a, a mum would say, "Can I? Can I give birth? I've got. Um, you know, I'm due to have an an induction for obstetric cholestasis. Can I? Can I decline my induction? Mm. And t- ten, twelve years ago, the midwives and the obstetricians would have been like, "Well, no, no. Yeah, so you would have more likely got." Actually, no, it's too risky for you. And it would have been a really big deal if a woman declined. And obviously, you know, you can... I'm not saying you would ever have been forced to have... Like, no one can force you. No one can do a vaginal examination and do an induction without consent. But there was that kind of unspoken thing that, oh, actually, you, you do... Yeah, you do have to have an induction. Yeah. And, like, the challenge... So now, like you said, women are so much more informed to be like... Actually, no, I don't have to have that. I would like to know the risks and the benefits and my alternatives and what happens if I do nothing and then you support me in this. And, yeah. and, and these open conversations now are so much, you, you see them all the time compared to 10 years ago, it would have just been yes or no. Would you agree? Yeah, and, we, and definitely, and we see that, you know, anyone listening has only got to talk to their own mother. They're, they're in their 30s. Um, speak to your mum and see what her options were because I bet there wasn't any or she didn't feel like there were any you know yeah. my mum was um, I didn't think induction like post-dates induction was a thing because I was born at like term plus 18 or something that we're just <laughs> we wouldn't really see now but it was very much like you're, you're I think it was like you're having an induction so you're having an epidural and it was like dun, you're having this and we're doing this and we're doing that yeah. and it was very much like yes sir yes sir yes sir a episiotomy yes yeah. yeah. that's you were talking about the, the 90s need, like uh, it's crazy. Late 80s, early 90s, routine episiotomy. Thank goodness we don't do that anymore. How many perineums were torn that wouldn't have been torn? Um, yeah. And and I bet the training around perineal repair wasn't as good and identify, no. identifying third or fourth to retire. So it's all that potential damage that, that we've done that we didn't know. We didn't, no, one, no one knew they were doing it. But it's just, I think no. it's exciting. I think it's really exciting times. And, and there's still work to be done. My goodness, there's still work to be done. But I think we're on the right path. And we're asking the right questions and we're having the right conversations um, and lifting the lid on, on taboo topics like that, which I think is so yeah. important. And even, um, so you, you know you said at the start that you feel like a lot of it has come from obstetricians and obstetricians also challenging policies and guidelines and looking at you know different types of evidence. Um, but also they, they have... Um, a shared decision-making thing now, don't they? And I say they have that now. Like, I don't know kind of when that was kind of brought in, but it's now actually a thing. It's written down that you, when you have conversations, it must be shared decision-making. Yeah. It's not yeah. a doctor telling you, you must have an episiotomy or you must have a c- cesarean. It's it's a shared decision-making 
thing process yeah and I think you know the culture I think historically was very hierarchical and I'm sure there's probably you know trust and and if there are any midwives listening they think well my trust is still like that but I think in a lot of trust now certainly you know where I worked and in, and in my experience I have great open honest conversations with my obstetric colleagues we have a really fantastic yeah. mutual respect and um, they'll make me a cup of tea I'll make them a cup of tea like it, there is yeah. that kind of hierarchical um standpoint which I think was historically again quite damaging and at the yeah. end of the day that that woman was then impacted um by that kind of top-down leadership so I think yeah I think I feel like just the maternity system has changed for the better and it excites me where that will move forward to as well. Yeah, I agree. Because you can even, you even feel more comfortable challenging a doctor. Like if you don't feel like they're, um, what they're saying is quite true or not, I'm not saying that they're not, they're going to tell you false things, but you know, they might be given advice or the way they're speaking, they're not quite given the full options. As a midwife now, I don't know if that's just because I've been qualified for such a long time, but I would feel so much more confident saying to a doctor, well, what's, if, 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 you know, Sarah doesn't want to do this, what's her other options? Whereas before I would have kind of stayed quiet, quiet a bit. And, yeah. you know, you there is definitely a better working relationship, isn't there? Yeah. And that comes from breeding a culture that's open to that like that 100% comes from having a culture and I know some of our really junior midwives that would go I've not heard of that before why do we do that and that's you know that may be the correct thing to say or it might be they just haven't heard of that evidence and great because otherwise how are they ever going to learn about it so I think breeding learn isn't it yeah breeding an open honest culture is so important and I think that's that at the end of the day is and a lot of my my role is making sure that across the floor all of our women have really safe individualized positive care and part of that safe care is having a culture in our unit where we can have open conversations like that and everyone feels able to voice any concerns or or raise anything they're not sure of in the same way we want women and birth partners to. Yeah, absolutely. Hey guys, I'm interrupting this podcast to talk to you about the sponsor of today's podcast, which is LV. LV is a brand that I really love for so many reasons. I also feel super lucky because they have given me a discount code to share exclusively with you all. So listen up. LV is a health and lifestyle brand that have developed smarter technology for women and like me are committed to empowering women by developing products aimed at improving their health and lives. Breastfeeding can feel like a full-time job, especially in those early days. Pumping milk can be a great way to share feeding with a partner or friends and family to give you as a new mum a break to either catch up on sleep or just have a well-deserved rest from feeding. The LV Stride is a cutting-edge breast pump from LV. It gives hospital-grade performance, yet is ultra-quiet. It allows you to pump hands-free by placing it in your bra and it is lightweight enough to be comfortably worn under clothing allowing you to pump whilst you go about your day. Such a lifesaver when you have a new baby in tow. LV are giving you 15% off the LV stride until the end of July 2023 using the code bump to baby That's B-U-M-P-T-O-B-A-B-Y. This discount is not available in conjunction with any other offer. And let's get back to the pod. Um, so as you're... Speaking of the, the 
you know the culture that you you kind of try and promote as a labor ward coordinator um do you ever find that there is challenges maybe maybe to do with what we've spoke about or or anything else like what challenges do you face as a labor ward coordinator yeah i mean we work in the nhs don't we but um <laughs> staffing and money <laughs> um, and, and it's really hard like our midwives and our obstetricians and all us and all of our support workers but you know we're, we're both midwives they work so hard yeah so hard and my goodness some days it's really tough and you literally go from job to job to job to job to job without a wee or yeah. a drink or a break you know my goodness I think we do more shifts now without a break than we do with don't we Beth and yeah and well that's hard and we're really yeah, human it is and it's interesting you say that because I feel like one of the a culture that is kind of promoted in a labour wars, probably the same in all kinds of areas of midwifery, is we kind of pride ourselves. We're like, I didn't even have a wee today. We're like, guess what? My, my bladder. My bladder is so that. Yeah. We're like, I didn't I didn't have a break or or you know, we kind of it's like a medal. We're like, mm. guess what? Our shift was so busy that we didn't we we didn't yeah. eat like give me a sticker uh, yeah my goodness yeah if we had a sticker for every time we didn't is it and no. i've got a special interest in pelvic floor so not weighing all day is no good for your pelvic floor. <laughs> sure, as a side that. note as a side note no um, so there are massive there's logistic challenges that are bigger than us you know they are bigger than us they're bigger than individual trust they are you know we we know there's a shortage but that does mean that we're only human and sometimes we're really tired and I am as guilty as anyone else that when I'm tired, I am not the best version of myself mm. and I might make a snappy remark that I didn't mean to make and that wasn't wasn't really what I meant, but I'm really tired and frustrated and, and whatever. And hungry. Yeah. Or glad that. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's not intentional. We're only human and we have to be kind to ourselves and we have to look after ourselves, don't we? But I think, and that is, I think, one of our, one of our challenges is recognising the need to support our well-being when we are giving all of ourselves physically and emotionally when you are supporting someone in the biggest moment of their life especially yeah. the challenges and hurdles my goodness you give all of yourself all that pushing you do in the second stage on your pilot floor as a midwife havoc you need to be having a wee right um <laughs> otherwise everyone's waters are on the floor and um, so there are massive logistical challenges and morale challenges i think they say when you're yeah. you know if you're if you're in for three long days or three long nights and it's really busy and you haven't had a wee or you haven't had your lunch it is natural that you're gonna feel a lacking in morale and that's that's i think a, a definite challenge that we see up and down the country you know no trust yeah. is, al is alone in that um and i think i, well, I always encourage our team to reflect at why we're doing what we're doing because sometimes yeah. it's really easy to forget to forget you know the reason you went into midwifery the reason you are a midwife and you want to advocate for women and to try and kind of touch back to those roots um and take that time please do have a wee ask someone to yeah. step in your room for two minutes while you go and have a wee but i think the fact that we don't worry sometimes and we choose not to have our breaks i think it just shows how kind of committed we are almost and I know that mm. is again it's I don't mean that to sound like a badge of honor but there is like I know that if I was if I was caring for a woman and, and I knew that her like she need we would you know made a special 
connection and she was you know going through the motions of her contractions i i hate being like oh yeah i'm just gonna i'm just gonna pop out for a break because you don't you feel like you don't want to kind of mess that up or if someone is pushing or just about to have a baby you think well now i'm definitely and actually our coordinators are really good and they will they will kind of not give us break relief around that time because yeah. obviously it's really important for for the the woman to have the midwife that she's had with her all day. I I remember when I was a new quali- qualified midwife working on the on the maternity ward, which is where you would go if you, you know, antenatal care or postnatal care. So before you've had your baby or after you've had your baby, um, and you have sometimes bigger caseloads. It, it could be one midwife to eight women or you know something around those numbers and I remember it got to five o'clock and the coordinator was like Beth why have you not had your break yet like you have to have your break and I was like I just don't I feel like I'd be letting someone down like people want to go home and like this is me as a newly qualified midwife and she said you have to go because there will always be jobs to do and it's a 24-hour service what you don't do someone else will do on their shift like it's not all up to you to do it yeah and I think that was a big a big like switch in my head absolutely and I remember actually in my own birth our midwife she didn't have a lunch break she didn't I was that Uh, one that kept her with me the whole time (laughs) um and I I remember my husband vaguely saying at some point she it was Kate was my midwife's name Kate um Kate hasn't eaten anything all day and we have to go to Costa and get something to eat. Uh, all day. And I was a bit like, well, yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's normal. She won't be hungry yet. Those yeah. six hours should be fine. It's um, funny, isn't it? But isn't it funny how we have normalised that and we have to ha- hold ourselves responsible for normalising that? It wouldn't get yeah. like that in other jobs. No. Well, it's not, it's not, it's not normal. It's not, it's not okay. normal, it's isn't not it? Okay. Well, even it's not normal to go and run to the staff room and sh- scoff a cereal bar you know it is really important to take you know take your break mm-hmm. and actually I, d- I do we do t- I do take my breaks I just want to make that really clear that I do when I'm there my team are really good and I always take my breaks but you know sometimes it is a bit later than what yeah. you would anticipated or something like that oh yeah lunchtime's not 12 o'clock if I'm at home yeah. with a toddler it's half 11 if I'm at work it's about half five but you know yeah lunch happens <laughs> That's where the shifts are so long, isn't it? That you yeah. just, you think, well, I, I don't want to take my lunch now because then I'll be hungry at five. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So the, you mentioned um, a few conversations back <laughs> uh, about Pre, staffing. Yeah. Pre-wheeze and break. Pre-wheeze, yeah. Um, so you said about staffing and staffing was one of your challenges that you have to yeah. navigate. Um, and obviously there has been a lot in the media hasn't there recently well I say recently it's probably actually been since well there's COVID that obviously had an impact on staffing and then and then now there is so much in the media about how the NHS not just in midwifery but across the board are short of staff like are, are you feeling are you feeling that seeing that in your place of work my gosh, absolutely. And I don't think I've spoke to a midwife in the country that hasn't. It's not, you know, it's not a local issue. It's a, it's a much bigger issue. And my goodness, I love being a midwife birth. I love it. It's, you know, seeing the strength that women possess during yeah. urban birth is just inspirational every day. And I feel it's like the most privileged thing 
ever and I adore it, but it's hard. Like it's really yeah. hard. And you know, bursary cuts for the girls training, you know, it's, it, it has massive impact, I think, on recruitment and retention. Um, yeah. And it is, it's tough to work within the NHS or within the public sector. Um, I've been speaking to a few sort of police officers and teachers and things recently. It's it's not even just the NHS. Um, it is really tough. And I think that plays such a massive impact on staff well-being and staff retention yeah. and people being unwell. And and ultimately, it has an impact on staffing levels on, the, on a day-to-day basis. Um, and it means that you will often do the job of two people that day. Yeah. Um, and that's something when I speak to midwives that are perhaps sort of approaching retirement age now and they started their midwifery they could like knit a scarf on their night shift (laughs) (laughs) they wouldn't be talking about not going for a wee like it changed massively because the demands changed which is amazing we've got women having babies now that wouldn't have been able to from a medical standpoint have babies previously like that's incredible that's amazing you know things are really different women have got more choices more options um we're saving lives like it's incredible but that has come with changing to the working environment. I just feel like we haven't quite caught up with the momentum of that on the floor. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's not, you know, the stereotype of midwives is eating cake. Yeah, I mean, I can eat some cake, but just usually on my days off. Oh, yeah, but even you probably eat your cake, but you're there writing your notes at the same time. You know, there's always cake there, but, you know, there is that stereotype, isn't there, of, oh, we have a cup of tea, we, we cuddle babies. Yeah. But it is, it isn't like that at all, is it? Um, do you do you feel like women are seeing the impact of this in 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 at work? They are not just work. I mean, across the board, not just yours. They are in terms. They are in terms of waiting times. So waiting times, things like inductions, scans, clinic appointments, midwife appointments, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. The, the tight appointment slots, things like that. And, and it scopes into other things. You know, we've all referred a woman with pelvic girdle pain to a pelvic health visit in pregnancy. And by the time they get appointment, they're six weeks postnatal. Like it's kind of all of that outpatient service as well. And in terms of place of birth, and I think one of the things we're seeing so often as an impact of staffing is birth centres being diverted onto a central labour ward, home yeah, birth and being withdrawn. And that that's national your area. Is that your yeah, area? It's up and down the country. Same. Yeah, it's up yeah. and down the country. Um, so that has a has a profound impact on women. What I like to think is day to day. So when someone presents in labour, they are still receiving safe, individualised, compassionate care. So for someone listening who's an expectant mum thinking, "Oh my God, there's staff who's going to look after yeah. me," someone very competent and compassionate and highly skilled will be looking after you during your labour and birth. Um, but it does sometimes reduce choice in terms of place of birth and waiting times for inductions and outpatient services. Yeah, because that, that is the sad thing, isn't it? It is the fact that the birth centres are closing to localise staff, so to keep all the staff in one area. So it's re- it's really sad that women are having those options taken from them and that also then has an implication on the amount of birth pools for example and yeah you know we all know how much women love to labor in water which is you know and rightly so it's it's a great option to have but equally on the flip side it is very reassuring to hear that when you go into labor like you said you 
you will have that one-to-one care and I think that that's why that's why that's happening you know that's why those midwife centers are not being closed but you know they're being suspended or whatever you call it um I use the term diverted diverted they're being diverted uh to to make it safe um but we know that birth isn't you know obviously a massive priority for women is safety like Mm. that is a number one priority is for birth to be safe but equally it's not it's not the only thing to consider and I think that that's the sad part isn't it of all the the options that are going yeah absolutely um but we have to be hopeful we have to be hopeful. yeah and and as we said at the beginning different subject point but women's voices are the loudest yeah. so actually if this is something that's happening in your area speak up because it's your voice that's going to be able to change the tide more than ours yeah absolutely do you think women are feeling scared listening to all these the newspapers about the closures and things and short staff do you think it's affecting women yeah i mean women were scared before this you know birth fear has been forced upon so many women we see it in the media we see it on you know mum's chats online birth fear is we're in an epidemic of birth fear despite it statistically being safer than ever um and that really saddens me because i really believe that with proper information and preparation women should be able to birth free from fear and that's fundamental to a positive experience yeah Um, absolutely but I think yeah there is so much out there around birth fear and and if anyone is experiencing that I really recommend speaking you know it may be Beth or I it may be something else but speaking to someone that you resonate with that's going to support you through your pregnancy and birth because it doesn't need to be that way yeah there is so many techniques out there isn't there to um kind of navigate those fears that you have and and actually a lot of the fears around birth such as short staffing in the nhs you as a pregnant woman at home like you have no control over that it doesn't stop you from worrying about it but equally you have no control over it so it's like you you can't change it so you need to like learn ways on how to navigate that that fear and that can make such a difference to your pregnancy but also to how your birth goes as well like we know we both are big champions of it aren't we that that fear has such an implication on your birth but yeah it doesn't have to be that way no absolutely not um so what advice uh would you give to any pregnant mum who is worried who's due to give birth but who is worried about the stress on the services right now first of all know that that's not your problem so the, the you know the fact that they're maybe they're three midwife short that day is, isn't your problem so you should still expect the same standard of care that you would have received a week earlier when when they were fully staffed on that roster so there's so much logistics that goes on behind the scenes to make sure that the point of someone requiring one-to-one care and labor that, that is absolutely what they receive beyond everything else that is number one priority um, so please be assured that that safe one-to-one labour care will be there for you um, at the point of you presenting or, or needing that. Could you go into a little bit more detail about as a coordinator, what what do you what do you do? Like just to reassure women that if you are really short staffed and there's three midwives there, there's three midwives on the labour ward, and there is, uh, they know that there is a labourer in triage what what do you do as a coordinator in those situations it's amazing where we can find midwives from actually (laughs) when we need to it's quite incredible Um, (laughs) and 
So we have midwives love an extra shift, don't they? They love an extra shift. <laughs> so we te- we we phone a friend first of all. We phone a friend and try and get some extra midwives in, and and often and often that does work actually. When uh, midwives will come in for for some extra hours. And um, the other thing is we look at where our staff are. So, for example, the postnatal ward might have their full recruitment of staff, but actually haven't got that many postnatal mums. Great. So in that case, we can steal one of their midwives to come and help us out on labour wards. And that's where we do something similar with the birth centres if we need to. Now, lots of birth centres policy is that you have two midwives to one labouring woman. Um, and that's because you are in a kind of a separate unit. So having that extra pair of skilled hands if there's an issue is, is really, is really, really good and really reassuring for those midwives. Um, but it but it means that, that that's taken two midwives to one labouring woman. And this is where the logistics that don't necessarily meet the benefits of that mum, but when we look from a safety standpoint across the unit, it's more beneficial to transfer that mum from the birth centre to labour ward, which brings us two midwives. So that other midwife that was a spare just in case can then support a labouring woman on labour ward. So it's looking at where our staff are. We have staff in clinics, for example. In the daytime, we might have um, midwives that work in something like practice development. So they're in an office, but they're still clinical midwives. Um, so they're still, you know, very skilled at providing labour care. So we can kind of pinch and pull midwives from, what, wow. from wherever. But we're a little bit like A&E in that suddenly something happens and then it all might calm down. And then we reevaluate. So it's very much constantly changing tides. So constantly sort of so so midwives are incredibly resilient. And that's a that's a word that gets thrown around all the time. I don't always like it in the context. But in terms of being adaptable and flexible, that's yeah. a key, really key role to a midwife. And that's why essentially and we go where women need us. Yeah, exactly. Because no matter what area you are working on, at the end of the day, you are still a midwife. You can still, like you said, you can still help deliver a baby you can still you still know how to do labor care and you know pick up for any deviations from the norm like everybody is still equally as as trained as the other yeah um and that I, I think that's really reassuring because i know that i'm sure you've had that question before when people are like well what what do you do what do you do when there's so many women in labor but there is just not enough midwives and and as a pregnant mum you think well that those numbers just don't add up like so what will happen to me will I labor on my own um yeah absolutely not absolutely not yeah exactly um so Pip anything else you want to add I don't think so I think it's so lovely speaking to you oh it's always good to chat it's always good to chat but yeah just just make sure you get that proper information it's really easy I think and we talked a bit about birth it but it's really easy to get caught up in in that momentum of scaremongering and there's so much scaremongering out there and as an expectant mum you are like high target you're super vulnerable um so please just make sure you see through that noise and and recognize that even with birth intervention having appropriate information and support ahead of time is going to be one of the most powerful tools in your toolbox to a positive birth and and all birth can be positive and empowering regardless of what it looks like so my last question to you Yes. So one day when your child is grown up and expecting their first baby, what advice would you give them? First of all, Beth, I, I really want a girl next, okay? <laughs> I don't mean, yeah, girl or boy. Yeah, no, no I get you. Yeah. I do feel like, I do feel like I can be more involved if it's a girl. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Anyway, I do, that, 
That's I've loved being a boy mum. Girls tend to come come yeah, back to the nest, to don't they? Yeah. That's that's a total side note. <laughs> what was the question? What advice left? Yeah, so for your uh, your for your child that's one day expecting their first child, what advice would you give them? To know that they are way more capable than they realise. I think it's really common when we think about pregnancy. We're told, don't do this, don't do that, don't lift that, you know, don't watch this, don't blah, blah, blah. Actually, we are such powerful humans and there is so much that we can do. So lessen that doubt in your mind. Use pregnancy to train yourself physically and psychologically, even more importantly, to recognise just how powerful and capable you are. Because we're bloody awesome. We are, aren't we? The things we do. Yeah. I love that, Pip. Thank you. Thank you so much. And then just lastly, where where can people find you? Very easy. I'm Midwife Pip. So Instagram, midwife underscore Pip, uh, midwifepip.com and the Midwife Pip podcast. Amazing. Thank you so much for today, Pip. It's been amazing speaking to you as always.